Thanks to all men, we will look at Paul's part in salvation as we've been speaking the last couple of weeks on the power of the word of God alone to bring salvation, sanctification, to bring all the power of Jesus Christ into someone's heart. It's the word of God. We spoke about that the last two weeks. It's, it's intrinsic in the message. We carry the message in as much of a loving way as we can. But God does all the heavy lifting. God changes the heart. God does something radical on the inside of all of us. We don't have no jurisdiction there. Only God does. But we do have a part to play. And I'm going to look at that tonight from the Apostle Paul's heart. But we are going to have a special day here. We're going to ask one of our sisters to come up and give a testimony that she gave last week at her baptism. And I want you to know the testimony, it represents everybody's testimony. Please understand this. This is not a testimony versus everybody else's testimony. Like this is the testimony. This testimony captures what happens to us. And so, and it goes right with the sermon we're going to do, but, but uh, it, it means a lot to us. So our loving sister Carol is going to come up and give a testimony of what God has done in her life. Would you mind coming up, sister? not a public speaker. <laughs> that's why I'm staying here. I mean, that's why I'm staying here. I had a feeling that the mic might need to be turned up a little bit. And then I'll sit down. All right? So you speak right into that. Yes. Remember something. You're speaking on behalf of all God Almighty. That's the most mm-hmm. important thing. Let us hear through the eyes of God. Through the ears of God, Exactly one year ago, my family was suffered and burdened with troubles. Michael knew Pastor Brian from the gym and the neighborhood. He would always tell me when he ran into him, and in my heart, I knew he needed to talk to someone desperately aside of myself. One day, he finally decided to do so, and I had no idea that he did. I myself was numb, heavy-hearted, and pretty much felt so blind that I couldn't see an end to our despair. We were in a very, very dark place. Within a couple of days, our family was having breakfast with Brian and Terry. Carrying all I was carrying inside, we spoke through breakfast. Our children had gone outside. We stood behind and spoke some more. When all was said and done, we were invited into deep prayer. As soon as Brian led prayer, I began crying uncontrollably, as if the troubles and pain were screaming to leave me. When we said our goodbyes, my heart felt at ease. I smiled peacefully, not having a clue as to what just took place. My troubles did not leave me, but the burdensome stress and worry did. My heart just felt it would be okay and would pass. I just didn't know how. When I look back now, I realize that was the day I was saved. My mind didn't understand it at first, but my heart did right away. About a month and a half after our breakfast, Terry took me underwing to my first Bible study at Kim's. As I listened to the word, it came so clearly that God is it. He is first. Everything else is second. It will all fall into place according to his will. 
I handed it all over to God, and I still do when burdens or troubles come my way. He has chosen me. I put all my hope and faith in him because I trust and believe in his word. He is faithful. He is love. He has shown me in so many ways what he can do. Every day I pray to him, and I thank him for the good, and I thank him for the not so good. I put my life in his hands, and he has had mercy on me. He has given me grace when I needed it without me having to ask for it. I feel the comfort of his presence every day. I am grateful that he worked the way he did in my life. When pain comes or sorrow, I don't complain or ask why. In the forefront is Jesus Christ suffering unimaginable torment for us. I do take that personally. He chose this path for me, and I will walk it. I was, it was his choosing in his time, not my own. This is why I am here, to proclaim my faith and show that I will walk the path he chose for me without question. Would you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Before we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I am going to give you my first outline. I will describe what's taking place in this chapter before we even read it, so you have a better understanding as we go through it. Uh, I have structured the sermon to speak about the historical situation, Paul's deepest desire, number two, three, Paul's personal approach to sharing Jesus with others, four, Paul's reward in hours, if you dare to have it, and Paul's strict approach to his ministry. Let me talk about the historical situation before we read the Corinthian church of which we're reading out of today existed for one reason, Paul's preaching. Paul went to a place that others would not go to. Corinth was a sort of a seafaring town with every hedonistic practice imaginable. It was, it was, it was the docks, it was the dark side of humanity. But that's where Paul went. And he went and he preached. Paul was the founder of this church. Paul was the leader and he was the teacher of this church. But most of all, under his own words, he says, I became a father to you. He fathered these people spiritually. These are people on most, there were a couple of Jews there that knew something about, of course, Judaism, but most of them were from a pagan, idolatrous, hedonistic background, and Paul became a spiritual father to this church. Unfortunately, which happens a lot in the New Testament, uh, troublemakers came in after Paul preached for a year and a half. It's in Acts chapter 18. You can read that tonight, Acts chapter 18. Paul preached there for a year and a half. Troublemakers came in and were telling the church that their spiritual father was not really an apostle. They were actually saying he's uh, a charlatan. He's a make-believe, self-appointed apostle. That's what they were saying. And you may ask... Why? Do you want to know why they said this? Because as an apostle, he would not take an offering for his ministry. 
He did it for free. And you would say, wow. But they try to leverage this against the church, saying, if he's really an apostle, I mean, he doesn't speak well, he didn't. Uh, He didn't dress well, he didn't. He didn't look the part, he didn't. He wasn't charismatic. They could have said a lot of things, and they did. But they said, how can you trust a man that's not charging you? Think about it. Wow. That's what's taking place in this chapter, so when we get into it. Paul defends himself against these attacks by stating a seemingly contradiction. He was so free from men that he didn't need their money. What he did, he did purely for Jesus Christ and for their salvation. He'd rather starve than put an obstacle in the way. I'll explain that. You see, the ancient world 2,000 years ago is not much from our own world today. It was filled with charlatans. It was filled with smoke and mirrors. It was filled with magicians, false philosophers. There were itinerant preachers. They were roaming around the Romo-Grecan world preaching their philosophies for money. And so Paul knew this. And so what Paul did as a missionary, they made it their aim. When they went somewhere, they would work for a living. And Paul was a tent maker. So Paul had a trade. He'd work all day at his trade. And then he would preach all night for God. That's what Paul did. He chose this. He didn't have to. As an apostle, he had the right to, for the church to take care of his needs. But he chose not to because he did not want to put an obstacle in anyone's path. He didn't want anyone to say, well, he's got an ulterior motive. You could not bring a charge against Paul. There was no ulterior motives. There was no hidden agenda. There was no smoke and mirrors. He didn't have an other agenda going on. He had one agenda. He wanted to see people saved and freed from their sin and come into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. He would rather go hungry than ask for money. Now let's go read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and listen to the words how Paul expresses it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to put it on the overhead if you don't have your Bibles. Okay. 27 verses, I'll read them. Listen to Paul. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas, that's Peter, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law of Moses say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. For is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher in hope of sharing in the crop. That's financial uh, uh, caring. 
If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others have shared this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Listen to this. Here's, here's where it gets good. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Listen to this man's convictions. Let me tell you, some televangelists should learn this principle. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me, he goes on to say, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm going to take a moment there and paraphrase. You ready? Follow along, verse 16. Here we go. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me ground for boasting, and I can say, hey, listen, I'm an apostle, you owe me. For necessity is laid upon me, but woe to me if I do not preach the gospel of my Lord and Savior, who died and hung and suffered for my sins. How dare me not go proclaim him amongst the heathen nations and do it for free? How dare me put any obstacle in front of any other human being that's be created in the image of God and stop them from coming to Christ because of my own behavior? I will have none of this. I will share the gospel free of charge, though it's my right to charge. I will not charge it, for I'm more concerned about the soul of the person than about my own person. Are you with me? Verse 17. For I do this on my own will, I have a reward. Everybody say, I have a reward. But if not on my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. It means Paul would preach it no matter what he has to. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make a full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I am not myself under the law of Moses, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that's the heathen, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that's the law of love, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might be, win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Can you repeat that I might share in the blessings? Listen to his protocol. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to understand the heart of the Apostle Paul, God. Teach us, Father God. Give us understanding, Father God. Let us understand Paul's deepest desire. Let us all taste the freedom Paul had 
to preach the gospel, to live it, to become all things to all people. Father, help us remove any obstacles from our personality that could turn someone off. Help us and free us from anything in our life, Father God, that gets in the way of other people's happiness in Jesus, Father God. Help us, Father God, to be all things to all people so that they can be saved and hear the saving message of Christ. Help us understand the text, God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I said in the last two sermons, we saw the power of conversion is in the word of God. Pure and simple. And how important that is to the Christian discipleship. We have to know that when we speak about Jesus, it's not you convincing anybody. Please understand, walk out of here today knowing you can't convince anyone of a spiritual truth. Only God can do that. The pressure is not on us, and that's a biggie in discipleship. We need to be, we don't need to be pushy. We don't need to hard sell, come to church, you got to believe in Jesus, you're going to hell, the end is here, all this kind of stuff. You know, that's the hard sell. Also, how free we are not to become self-righteous. Man, self-righteous is a horrible thing. You know, the ex-smoker who's looking down on everybody because they're still smoking. The ex-drunk who's, who's now sober but telling everybody they have to drink. The ex-sinner who's now a Christian telling everybody they got to get their act together. You know, enough is enough. That turns people off. The question of what we bring should really be what we don't bring. I want you to listen to that. What Paul is saying, I'm not going to bring my Judaism into the equation. Nor am I going to bring my freedom into the equation. I am going to care about everybody, no matter what situation I find them in. If they're steeped in sin, I'm going to love them anyway. If they're steeped in idolatry, I'm not going to beat them over the head with dietary food laws of Judaism. I'm going to meet everyone where they're at with the saving message of Jesus Christ. And I'm not even going to charge them because I don't want to make sure anybody gets the wrong impression. I want people to hear the truth. I want to win a hearing. I want, to, I want friends first and maybe converts second. Friendship first. And maybe that leads into conversion. And maybe it doesn't. But if it doesn't lead to conversion, guess what? You've made another friend. Friends are good. People. It's about people. I've structured it. I gave the first part of the sermon already, the historical situation, how Paul had to defend his ministry. The next thing I'm going to do after this is talk about Paul's deepest desire, and that's to save as many people as he could. He could be used by God. I'll share Paul's personal approach of no obstacles, of becoming a Jew to a Jew and a Greek to a Greek, becoming all things to all men that some might be saved. Then I'll speak about Paul's reward. And hopefully the reward I speak about today does justice to Paul and it sets a fire in your heart. All right? And then I'll, if I get a chance tonight, maybe I'll speak about the strict approach. I have a chance. I'm not, I have a feeling I'm not going to get to the fifth point, but maybe I'll do that next week. Okay? So let me just talk about now Paul's deepest desires. The deepest desire Paul has is that he would put no obstacle in someone's life. That someone might be saved. He says it three times. In order that they can be saved. Or I, do, or I become all things to all people that some might enjoy salvation. That's his deepest desire. Understand something. I know Paul's life. There were 27 new documents. Paul wrote most of them or at least half of them. I know every word. 
I know the man's life. There is nothing greater except possibly the glory of God. But you can't bring glory to God unless you bring sinners to Jesus. That's where God's glory is found. Not in quoting scripture, mightily quoting chapter after chapter, but hating everybody. God gets no glory in that. You can proclaim the truth and turn everybody off. We had a gentleman here who came for years, and he would he bragged. I went to the bar and looked at this scar. He had a big scar on the side of the head because they beat him up and they threw him out the back door. After I got to know the guy, I realized why they did it. He's not a nice guy. He had the truth. But he was one self-righteous human being. He had no love. And if you have the Christian message and no love, you're a sounding gong and a clinging cymbal. Love is what makes it work. And Paul had this love. Listen to verse 12. This is his deepest desire. This is a revealing of who this man is. If others share this rightful claim on you to get compensated is what he's saying. Do not even more. I'm the father of the faith. Nevertheless, I'm going to paraphrase. Can we put that up there? Verse 12. Okay. If others share this rightful claim on you to be compensated, do not even me more. I'm the father of the faith. Nevertheless, I don't want to be compensated. We have, made, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything, even hunger, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Does that come alive now? Okay. Like I said, many TV evangelists and pastors would do well to adopt this philosophy. You know who else would do well to adopt this philosophy? Athletes who are getting paid $100 billion to throw a ball or catch a football and everybody's clapping for them as there's something special. But every gift they have is a gift given to them by God. When you hear someone say, I don't need that kind of money and they do it for the glory, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever we have should be to God's glory. Have you done well in life? It should be to God's glory. For Paul thought of getting in the way of someone's salvation the most dreadful thing. Turning someone off to the message because of the personality, are you with me? For Paul is what we call anathema. That means be accursed. I'd rather be separated from God than ever put a, a stumbling block before another human being. Listen to this man's heart. Listen to the the pureness of his motives. He would do, he'd rather go hungry, thirsty, cold, lonely, than put an obstacle. So he chose not to, he chose not to get compensation so they get some kind of strange thoughts. He supplied his own needs. To get in someone else's way was something to be avoided at all costs. Souls are at stake. He took a personal moral inventory, his own personality, and he says, I'm not letting myself get in the way of anybody. I am going to make sure I am on my best behavior at all times because I love people now just the way Christ has loved me. I'm going to love them. And just the way Christ mercifully opened up my eyes, I'm going to pray that God mercifully opens up their eyes. I'm not coming in with the hard sell. I'm not coming in. I'm not going to be pushy. I'm not going to threaten people. I'm just going to share the message. Drastic measures are needed. But he'd rather do without earthly comforts 
for the more important things of life. Do you know there's more important things in life than yourself? I hope you understand that. We're all here today and we go, oh, maybe God's going to give me a message on how I can get a wife or how I can get a husband or maybe I can get a better job or maybe I can get paid. Oh, pastor, tickle my ears with something good. But please, I'm here to tell you there's something much better than what you think is your good. It's called other people. If you want to find your life, listen to a wise man. You know what he said? If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. Who said that? Jesus said that. But if you want to find your life, you'll lose it for my sake and the gospel. This is drastic measures. He'd rather do without earthly comforts for the more important things like other people. When you put other people first, you're adopting adopting Jesus' philosophy of being a servant is better than being served. Jesus said that. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Paul suffered much because of these convictions. Listen to Paul in chapter 10. Verses 31 to chapter 11, 1. Do we have that up there? Okay. So, whether you eat or drink, he's actually summing up everything now. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jew or to the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. He goes on to say this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, Paul's philosophy of ministry in chapter 9 is adopted from Jesus' life already. This is not an aha moment. This is not an original thought. Paul didn't have that. He heard the teachings of Jesus. He saw the resurrected Christ. And guess what? That's all he needed. He came to serve. Paul followed Christ. And it's good philosophy. It's good interpretation. And it's good preaching when we all can say, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Paul's personal approach to these convictions can be found in these words. Let me pull it up over here. Do I have it here? I think I do. Give me a second. Paul would bend over backwards to accommodate others so he can win a hearing. So he can win people's trust. Listen to his approach to personal differences. Differences that at the end of the day are meaningless. When it comes to God and eternal life, most of the stuff we we, we major in the minors. We get into personal personalities and, and we're throwing around personalities like, it doesn't, who cares? Who cares what they wear, what they smell like, how they talk? Who cares what the sins they're caught up in? Who cares what religion they're for? Who cares? Souls are at stake. He'd do anything until he could explain Jesus to them. You see, many people try to explain Jesus without loving the person. Paul loved the person. And then when he had their confidence, he would explain, not preach, he'd explain Christ. He didn't bash them over their head for their sins, but patiently explained all things while loving them. 
even in their ignorance. Listen to verse 20. Listen to his philosophy. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. What does that mean to you and me in the 21st century? The truth of the matter is very few people in this room, unless you're a student of the New Testament, will have any understanding of what that means. This is what it means. When Paul preached Christ, he knew he didn't have to keep the festivals anymore or ceremonial washings before you ate. You had to wash your hands and wash your feet and powder yourself before you could sit down. He knew that you didn't need to do that anymore. He knew you could eat all the pork you wanted. And he enjoyed it. I can imagine Paul eating his first pork chop after his conversion. You know, he probably had the pork chop, you know, and he's struggling, should I or shouldn't I, Lord? And then he bites and it's like, this is awesome. Praise Jesus, I can eat pork again. Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you, merciful God. But Paul wouldn't take that attitude if he was in a Jewish home. While he was in the Jewish home, he did what a Jew did. I can go into a Catholic home and they're ordering pizza and I'm saying, oh, give me a hamburger, it's Friday. And they say, well, we don't eat meat. We don't do that. We don't say, well, you know, Jesus freed me from that. You say, praise God. I won't eat meat either. This is your home. These are your traditions. These are your religious values. You're going to pray the rosary? Oh, praise God. I'll pray along with you, but not the rosary. I'm going to pray to Jesus. So I use Catholicism as a way so we can understand that. We're not coming out of Jewish backgrounds. It's like the alcoholic that's sitting down with a family member who's, who's a drunk. And, and, and the ex-alcoholic doesn't tell him, you got to stop drinking, you got to stop drinking, you got to stop. You're ruining your life, you're killing yourself, you got to ruin your family, your kids, your wife. You build a relationship. And you love that person. And you care for that person. And you start praying for the person before you say anything about what they're doing is wrong. Just pray for them. And care for them. Maybe invite them to church. Maybe read a scripture of encouragement to them. That they don't have to be a slave to this kind of stuff. And know how to meet people and generally care for people before you explain Jesus to them. That's what Paul is saying here. To the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. I don't want to, I don't, it's Friday. I, I want to eat all the meat I can. I want to eat all the pork I can. But I'd rather win someone to Christ than to enjoy a good pork sandwich. Are you with me? Does that make sense? He goes on to say, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law of Moses, that I might win those under the law. Again, to me and you, that could be a little, you know, redundant. But what are you saying? There was strict adherence to the law was a means of salvation. Paul will say, no, 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 no. Religious laws and religious devotions does not save the soul. Only genuine faith, what Christ has done, as a sinner, saves the soul. Paul knew that. But Paul can go in and be around the most law-abiding of Christians, the most law-abiding of Jews, who said, no, Paul, we've analyzed the scriptures, and unless you obey Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Well, Paul didn't come punching. He would accommodate himself to their teaching, and then he would point them to another teaching. And then he would show them another way. 
He didn't come fighting with people. He didn't fight with their personalities. He understood that they loved the law, though the law does not save. So he would come alongside the real law-abiding ones that put the law above all things. And he would explain them after he befriended them. Does that make sense? How important is that is for me and you? This is the law of attraction in its most purest sense. People have to see that we're real about what we believe in, that what we believe in really changes me. How can I speak about the love of God when I'm not changed by the love of God? How can that be? Paul knew the love of Christ. He could actually love the unlovable. As a matter of fact, this very epistle, the Corinthians, do you know what it says? You know who got saved? Murderers got saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, go home and read it. Murderers got saved. Thieves got saved. Homosexuals and lesbians were saved. Uh, fraud was saved. All these criminals, all this kind of moral activity, they got saved because they received Paul and then they received his, his message. Before you can receive the message, you have to receive the messenger. That's why Jesus says this. When people rail against you, turn the other cheek. When they defy you, walk an extra mile. Befriend them. Let them know you're genuine and you're concerned for their life and you're concerned for your eternal life. Brian, it could take two decades. Are you willing to go two and three decades before someone comes out of the darkness? You better be. Otherwise, you're not going to lead anybody to Christ. If you're looking for the fast notch on your belt, oh yeah, and another one's saved because of me, another one's saved because, understand something, you're not going to have no reward in heaven. And you won't have no reward now. We're going to get into the reward in a moment. He goes on to say, to those outside the law, now we can understand, this is more up to date for me and you. He says, to those outside the law, meaning those who have, they're lawless basically, no moral, uh, no, no moral mores whatsoever. This is a hedonistic society. To those outside the law and who live like hedonists, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That's the law of love. That I might win those outside the law. He didn't say, well, to the fornicator, I became a fornicator. To the adulterer, I became an adulterer. To the drug addict, I became a drug addict. No, he's not saying that. He would go to them and not point to their sin. He would go to them and he would love them. He would cherish them. He would talk to them. And he would slowly and patiently, forbearingly explain the love of God. Now, here's the difference between Paul and me and you. Are you ready? Paul was called to be an apostle and an evangelist and a missionary. That means when he preached, God did a, a lot of work real quick. It was condensed. Me and you, we're local people. We're local pastors. I, I can't raise the dead to get your attention. I can't heal the leper to get your attention. But guess what? I can love you for 10 years to get your attention. That's what you and me are called to do. Are you with me? Are you following he says, so he, so he could go to the worst of the worst morally, but he went with the love of Christ, with the law of Christ. He knew to hang around with people. You see, G, Paul would have went to the bar and had a drink. But yet he wasn't immoral and he wouldn't get drunk. Just put people in his don't run out with that, right? Whatever you do, don't think you go out and get drunk now. The point is, Paul didn't say, you know, you come out of the bar, all you drunkards. Come out and I'll show you the love of Jesus. 
God said, go in there and tell them the love of Jesus. Walk amongst the drug addict. Walk amongst the alcoholic. Walk amongst the prostitute. Go to the down and outers. Go to those who have no law at all. Their whole life is one moral mess and go love them. And if you got to love them for 10 years, love them for 10 years until they hear the explained message of Jesus. That's where me and you come in. We're called to walk the extra mile at all times. He says this, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. The weak here is the religiously weak. These are people that were converted. They were Christians. They come out of a Jewish background, but they could not give up the law of Moses. They totally agreed that Jesus is the Messiah, but they kept on following the minutia of the law of Moses. The, the, let me explain something about even today in Orthodox Judaism, but more so 2,000 years ago. The Jews' life 2,000 years ago, every aspect of their life, everything was controlled by the law of Moses. There was a sacrifice in the morning. There was a sacrifice at night. The Jew had to honor that. There was the Sabbath. The Jew had to honor that. Their whole life was structured by the law. They worked for six days. You would never find a Jew 2,000 years ago only working five and a half days. They worked six days. And on the seventh day, they rest. Their whole life was structured. Their whole Jewish calendar structured everything about their life. Whether they were in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, or, or, or Rome, they all lived the same way. When many of these people got saved, they kept on doing it. They kept on living under the minutia of the law. And Paul didn't say, you don't have to do that no more. You don't. He'd explain to them patiently and lovingly, trying to open up their heart to show them the full work of Christ at the cross. Not just for personal redemption, but you don't have to perform for God. Listen to me, everyone in the room, you don't have to perform for God. You might wake up one day and just say, I'm exhausted. I can't go to church. Guess what? Stay home. That's a pastor saying that. But I'm saying that to make a point. You're not here to get brownie points with God. You might miss your reading one morning because you're just exhausted or you got the flu and you're tired. You got a migraine headache and you just can't read. Guess what? God loves you just as much. And if you wake up and read the whole Bible, he doesn't love you anymore. So get that out. There's no performance in the relationship. That's what Paul's talking about the weak. The weak still thought they had to perform. They're saved, but they're going to perform by the law of Moses. You know? And Paul's saying, oh, whoa, take your marching shoes off. Relax. Jesus performed for you. And that's what a lot of religious people know. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I are supposed to live. Then he died for us. The death we're supposed to die, he died. We get his righteousness. That's the Christian message. So when it comes to me and you, how we become all things to all people, it's just called friendship. You and I are called to be friends. Befriend somebody. Be care about someone. It, oh, let me preach now. You ready? Let me preach about the reward. Paul's reward and ours, if you desire to live like Paul, what Paul's talking about in his reward. Could you open that up over there? What verse is that? Verse 12, verse 23, you ready? 
There we go. Paul painstakingly lived his life this way. I do it, what he's saying, I live this way for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. You know why I live the way I live? For that couple to come and give the testimony you heard today. That's the only reward I look for. To sit back and watch God open up the heart of a husband and wife and six children. If that ain't worth swimming across the ocean and climbing every mountain in life that someone can be converted, you're missing out on the reward. The reward is not what God can do for me. The reward is how God uses us in someone else's life. That's the Christian mission. Anything less than that is unchristian. We do it that we can share in the testimony. Sister Carol got up and she spoke on behalf of Brian. She spoke on behalf of Michael. She spoke on behalf of me. She spoke on behalf of my wife. She spoke on behalf of anybody that has ever been converted to the living and loving Jesus Christ. She spoke on behalf of all of us. And this is why we do to share in the reward of watching somebody forgiven from their sins, to stepping out of the darkness and into the light, to proclaim the praises of Jesus Christ, to see joy, to see see hope and to see peace even in times of tumultuous times they still have the joy and the love of God in their heart that's the reward there is no other reward don't look for another reward if you do you are blind to what the truth is as I was preparing this message and I was thinking last week as Carol was giving that testimony I was always already planning on this sermon. And I said, that's going to fit right in. That's a living example of the reward. And personally, too many Christians have no idea of the reward. You don't get this reward if you cannot become all things to all people. You don't get to share in the sheer joy of this great intangible of watching a conversion and the testimony and the praise that God gets. Not us. She was sure that God got all the glory. She mentioned the vessels used, but God gets all the glory. If you were in this life for a better day or personal happiness, you, my friend, my brother, my sister, will be absolutely miserable. And not just miserable, you will be let down again and again and again by others and by yourself. But when you're on the same page as Paul and you live your life in such a way to become all things to all people, you will live in a constant reward of God. You will sit there and constantly watch people come to faith, watch people change. Nothing thrills me and John and Patty and, my, uh, and, and the leadership of this church when we hear the testimonies and we see people come in. That's what it's all about. That's why we walk the extra mile. That's why we turn the cheek. That's why we become all things to all men. That's why we patiently endure hardship. That's why we patiently endure when people deframe our ministry like they did to Paul. Oh, those Christians over there, you can't trust them. I had the wonderful joy of speaking to a young lady the other night as she was sharing a testimony, telling people, were telling her, don't go to that church, they're this and they're that. I don't see any of that. What are you basing that information on? Where's the facts? I see none of that going on. 
We've been attacked since day one in this ministry. But guess what? They're in ignorance. They don't know. And we're called to love all people. That some can be saved. Where are you? Where are, where are we? I can tell you as a church, this is where we're at. I don't have to say church. Wake up and hear the trumpet call. Because that's what this church was founded on. And that's what this church lives on. That's what we survive on. It's other people. But I'm going to challenge every Christian in this room. Have you gone that extra mile? Are you living that life that puts people first? Are you living a life that you've trained yourself? I'll speak about this next week, how Paul trained himself like an athlete not to get caught up in looking at people's sins or looking at people's shortcomings in their personalities or looking at people's idiosyncrasies in their personalities. Paul can train himself to put all that stuff away, and that's what we need to do. We have to look at the soul of the matter, and that's eternal life. Paul did everything with the big picture in view, and we need to learn to adopt the big picture approach to life. When you do, you will live one full life no matter what takes place because you're putting others before self on behalf of God. I can go on, I can go on, and I can go on. As I was preparing this message, and basically it's on love, as a young minister, I preached a message on love. I had about 10,000 notes. And I realize now, if I need one note to preach on love, I never learned anything from my 10,000 notes. There comes a time you can preach and live extemporaneously because your heart is so filled with the love of God and your heart is so filled with other people that don't know God yet that you don't need a lesson it's spontaneous. And that's what God's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, Paul's great insights into his approach to being a Christian minister. Father God, help us to adopt these same lessons that he learned from Christ. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Help us, Father God, to live more like Christ, to live with eternity in view. Not, the, not, not just another day, another, thank God it's Friday, it's my weekend, it's my time to let my head down and I'm going to live and I'm going to flourish. No, God, the truth of the matter is, God, that's empty. And it runs, it runs dry real fast. God, help us to become part of your mission, to go back to the same places we came from and share the love of Christ with them. Give us the patience, the forbearing. The, the joy and the kindness, God, and the compassion and the mercy we need to speak lovingly to people, God, even in the face of great disagreement. Help us, Father God, to love these people, Father God, that don't know you yet. And if anybody's mocking us because of our Christianity, if anybody's questioning our motives, Father God, help us always, God, to be, to be patient with people until you, Father, open up their eyes to the truth. Father, we love you. We praise you. I thank you for the testimony of Carol on behalf of everybody who's ever been born again, who knows that great deliverance of soul. I ask you to bless us, Father God, in Christ's precious name. Amen.